Hello. Really good to be here. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, humans and tigers for a number of years now, and I've come to the conclusion that we um, have a lot more in common uh, than you'd think. And I'm going to be talking about that, but I want to start uh, with a tiger story. Uh, In 2007, I went over to the Russian Far East to investigate a series of tiger attacks. And the Russian Far East is a rough place. It borders North Korea and China. Winter temperatures drop to minus 40. It rains a lot in the summer. The bugs are brutal. Uh, And these attacks uh, took place in a remote valley where prior to the collapse of the Soviet Union... Uh, logging and fur trapping had been the principal industries. But when I got there, uh, these towns I saw reminded me of Depression-era mining towns. Poverty, despair, and alcoholism were rampant. Um, many people, had, in order to survive, had simply fallen back on the forest, which they called Mother Taiga. And once I saw this, it was easier to understand why an unemployed logger named Vladimir Markov might risk hunting a tiger especially when less than 100 kilometers away on the Chinese border, there was a new and thriving illegal trade in tiger parts. And Markov uh, was out hunting with his dogs when he shot and wounded a full-grown male Siberian tiger. And these are big animals. They can weigh five or 600 pounds. They can jump across this stage. Uh, they are the uh, apex predator in that ecosystem and have been known to kill and eat uh, the Russian equivalent to grizzly bears. After Markov wounded him, the tiger fled, but circled back and tracked Markov back to his cabin, where he proceeded to search out items that had Markov scent on them and chew them to pieces. He then uh, marked the perimeter around the cabin and lay down to wait. Markov was away. He was trying to gather his dogs, which had been dispersed by the tiger, and when he returned that evening, armed and ready, the tiger met him head-on and uh, killed him by his front door and then ate him. And what quickly became apparent to me, however, is that the Markov case was an aberration. This attack was the first of its kind in this valley in living memory. And when I spoke to people about it, they referred to tigers uh, in the feminine, like ships, and they had a saying, the tiger will see you a hundred times before you see her once. And when I asked them how they managed being alone in the forest with a stealthy predator three times the size of a mountain lion, they said, if I don't touch her, she won't touch me. And there was this unspoken uh, legacy of trust that was borne out by history and experience. And Markov had violated that trust. And I want to emphasize here that these are not um, exotic animist tribes people we're talking about. These are European Russians who look like many of the people in this room and who share many of our values about education, technology, and progress. So why, I wonder, did they have such a nuanced and tolerant view of tigers? Well, a lot of it has to do with proximity. And the more I looked at tigers through these Russians' eyes, the more I realized how much we had in common. For starters, we grew up together. Uh, tigers are higher mammals, the same age as us. And they have been prowling, uh, they were, when they were prowling uh, the forests of Asia, uh, when they first started doing this, our uh, ancestors um, were just walking out of Africa. And by the time Homo sapiens arrived on the scene, tigers were well established 
And now it's safe to say there's no corner of the Asian consciousness that doesn't have a tiger lurking in it somewhere. Since then, the tiger has become synonymous the world over for power, grace, and beauty, and we've adopted this animal as our own through our logos, flags, and sports teams, even through our medications. Viagra is the Sanskrit word for tiger. The um, one way to, to measure an animal's intelligence is to look at its diet. And generally speaking, the more varied the diet, uh, the smarter the animal. And like us, tigers are taught what and how to eat uh, by their mothers. And like us, they will eat virtually anything, from monkeys to mice and deer to ducks. With the exception of deserts and savanna, um, tigers uh, flourish in every ecosystem we do, from the high alpine down to coastal swamps. So once I got past all the fur and the teeth, I could see that we're both uh, adaptable apex predators um, with good memories, a capacity for vengeance, uh, the ability to problem solve. And so I wondered, with these fundamental similarities, um, what if we held humans up to what I'll call the tiger standard? What if we looked at the world and our impacts on it through the lens of a tiger could we learn anything? Well, let's start with resources. A male Siberian tiger may manage a territory of 400 square kilometers or more. And he operates under the assumption that everything within those marked boundaries belongs to him. And so far, he sounds like any property owner. Uh, the big difference is that even though he possesses the capability to completely wipe out the prey base, uh, he restrains himself typically to one major kill per week. And this sense of uh, balance and of sustainability is innate to tigers. And why, I wondered, or how did we, descended as we are from nomadic scavengers, become so unsustainable? Well, it's a long story, and a lot of it has to do with agriculture and population. But for us in the West... Most of our core attitudes toward nature uh, are found in the Old Testament. Uh, this sense of entitlement that nature is here to serve us, to accommodate our needs and appetites, whatever they may be, whatever the cost, finds its purest expression in Genesis. When God says to Noah, go forth and multiply and replenish the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. And every creature that liveth uh, shall be as meat for you. And even as the green herb, I've given you all things. Well, tigers um, look at the world in a very similarly um, uh, entitled and uh, superior way. The big difference between humans and tigers is that tigers manage to be superior uh, without being separate. Now, in 1926... The head of the Marxist Union of Siberian Writers, now defunct, uh, gave a speech and, uh, in which he said, let the green breast of Siberia be armed, uh, be dressed in the uh, cement armor of cities and, let, uh, and armed with the stone muzzles of chimneys and girded with the iron belts of railroads. Let the forests be burned and felled let the plains be trampled, for only in cement and iron can the brotherhood of all mankind be forged. 
Well, if someone got up and said that at TED, I don't think he would get a lot of buy-in. But um, this is what we've done and what we continue to do all over the world. And it's not an Old Testament ideal or a communist ideal or a, a capitalist ideal. It's what humans do. And at its core is an ethos of separateness, of exceptionalism. And it's so deeply ingrained in us that we take it for granted. But if we were to step back and look at this notion of human exceptionalism through the lens of a tiger, it looks more like a kind of magical thinking. But there are some serious consequences for thinking and acting as we do. Tigers are a good example. In the past hundred years, tigers have lost more than 95% of their habitat. Their numbers have plummeted from an estimated 100,000 at the turn of the last century to barely 3,000 today. Tigers, as adaptable as they are, have not been able to adapt to this latest change in their environment, which is billions of humans vying for the same resources and commodifying their skin, bones, and organs. Imagine for a moment if there were 7 billion tigers and 3,000 of us. Another way of looking at it is we are currently out-competing tigers the same way we out-competed the Neanderthals 30,000 years ago. The Neanderthals were a tough, successful species, but Homo sapiens are smarter and were deadlier and were more successful, at least in the short term. The big difference is when we wiped out the Neanderthals, we didn't also wipe out the ecosystems that kept us both alive. So let's return to this idea of the tiger standard and ask ourselves, uh, would our current behavior be healthier, sustainable for every large territorial entitled creature? And if the answer is no, it's probably not healthy or sustainable for humans either. Now, that these things have, um, it's clear that they have uh, meaning and utility for us, or, or we wouldn't value them as we do. But what's not as clear is where value becomes damage and beauty becomes crime. And tigers have been sacred in Asia for as long as there have been humans. And they, um, uh, like the buffalo among the Plains Indian, like the Inuit, or like the uh, seal among the Inuit, every part of the tiger is used is valued and appreciated. But is this behavior healthy or sustainable? There are people who feel they need and deserve uh, bear paw soup or shark fin soup or tuna fish. Are these practices healthy and sustainable? We've been burning fossil fuels for a long time. We've come to depend on it. But these practices, these uh, uh products are devised, uh, derived from a series of processes that pollute and poison every single step of the way, that damage our habitat. So do we have the right to continue doing these things because the Old Testament said so, or because a communist said so, or because a CEO or a politician says so, because it's the status quo at this particular moment in our very brief history? And who defines the status quo? Is it the market? Is it our momentum? Or is it our fear of 
how difficult it might be to change. Another way of framing it is do we, the beneficiaries, reciprocate in any way to the ecosystems or the creatures uh, that keep us alive? By not holding ourselves to the standards of nature, the same standards to which tigers are bound by their own natures, we deny reality, which is a kind of magical thinking, which is what children do. And I have two kids at home, and when they were babies, my wife and I, we waited on them hand and foot. We gave them everything they needed. But now that they're older, 9 and 12, we expect them to pull their weight a little bit, to give something back to the home, um, to the life support system. We're being encouraged, um, with the exception uh, of those with vested interest in the status quo, we are being encouraged from every other quarter to do things differently. The current state of the world is one of ecological crisis. It's the challenge of our time. But I urge you to view these distress signals as invitations, invitations to mature as a society and as a species. One of my favorite examples comes from Russia, from the 1930s, at a time when, according to Marxist ideology, any animal that, that was not clearly beneficial to humans was worthy or a candidate for extermination. So think of where tigers uh, ended up on that spectrum. Uh, they were considered harmful fauna, and they were shot on sight. Nonetheless, three Russian biologists uh, discovered tiger tracks in a game preserve they were managing, and they decided to take a census, the first such census ever undertaken anywhere in Asia. And what they found out was there were only about 30 Siberian tigers left in the entire Russian Far East. These animals were on the verge of extinction. And without knowing where these animals fit into the ecosystem or what their value was, they took it on faith that if the tiger was there, it must have a reason to be there. And they advocated for its protection at one of the most dangerous times in Russian history, when Stalin was executing anyone who challenged the status quo in any way. In spite of this risk, these three biologists said, harmful or not, we need to stop killing these animals. With the extraordinary result that the Soviet Union, of all places, became the first country to declare the tiger a protected species. And since then, the Siberian tiger has made the most successful comeback of any endangered cat. And I tell you this story because one of the most powerful ways we can reciprocate, we can manifest our maturity and wisdom as a species, is simply to stop doing harm. What excites me most uh, about the current era is we've never been so capable of reciprocating, of reducing harm, of developing ways to power ourselves and feed ourselves that don't contaminate the atmosphere or suck the lifeblood out of our ecosystems. We are the most potent, creative, and adaptable species that has ever lived. And this is our moment. We rule, at least for now. The question of ability 
has been answered. We have the ability. But there's something else that's missing, something that I think we're forgetting. And tigers can help us remember what that is. So I want to leave you today with some lessons that I have learned from tigers about how to survive and thrive together on this planet. Tigers endure. They don't give up because they can't afford to. It's not adaptive to succumb to despair. Establish a territory with clear boundaries and look after it. Practice stewardship. Fighting is expensive. Unless someone's trying to kill you. All of this is just basic tiger behavior. These aren't me interpreting how tigers are. This is just the way they behave in the wild. Tigers kill to eat, not because they can. Tigers look so complete, don't they? Not needing a lot of accessories. Again, just basic, uh, you know. It's, uh, I try to live up to that, but uh, the best advice, really. So. So, yeah. so, there's one more. Be brave. Be brave like the tiger and defend with your whole being the things that keep you alive that truly nourish you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot.